Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Marxism Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Jarrett, and unfortunately today I don't have any guests to interview and talk to, uh, so it's just me today. And just like last year where I talked about things to expect in 2018, I am going to talk about things to expect in 2019. So... This year, I had a number of different people who came onto the show to talk about a variety of different things that are in their wheelhouse. Everything from green roofs to the far right, the cannabis industry to masculinity in this day and age. And of course, I went on some lengthy rants of my own and talked about why a number of things suck, like coffee, golf, Halloween, and don't you worry, there will be more pessimistic, some may call realistic, rants of mine coming in 2019. Now, I know you may be thinking this is an episode on what's to come in 2019, and you're right. Uh, so why are you talking about 2018? It's so last year. Well, sometimes you have to look at the past to make a guess on what to expect in the future. So to reflect on some of these past episodes, some things took me by surprise and some things didn't. This podcast has been running now for a little over a year, and it's been interesting to see what people find interesting. Of course, and unsurprisingly, the legalization of marijuana was a heavily talked about topic in Canada this year. And having done a couple episodes interviewing Nick Petiris from Lift & Co., which is a marijuana tech company, in case you happen to miss that episode, unsurprisingly, there was a lot of attention on those episodes. And since legalization is still very new to Canada, and there are various issues uh, and uncertainties when it comes to legalization of marijuana, especially when it comes to jurisdictional issues, uh, which is clearly reflected in the stock market these days. Uh, I imagine you can expect in 2019 that the topic of marijuana is still going to be ferociously talked about and discussed. And for those who are sick of hearing about it, I'm sorry to tell you, I don't think this topic is going up in smoke anytime soon. But that pun hasn't been used. On things that surprised me this year, though, the biggest surprise was the attention on the two episodes I did primarily on masculinity in this day and age. The amount of people that I got messages from on these episodes on this topic was remarkably surprising on my end. All good ones, mainly. Uh, actually, nothing negative. Uh, both from men and women, too. Primarily men, uh, and understandably so. For those episodes, I've got to give a shout-out to Sam Elliott and Andrew Donovan for providing a pretty balanced assessment of what masculinity is shaping up to be nowadays, while not shying away from stating their own opinions. In the future, it would be nice to have a woman's perspective on this issue, so ladies, if you research and know about this topic, give a shout-out to the Marxism Podcast. I'd love to have you on. So since there was a fair amount of attention on those episodes to continue with masculinity, I think this is a topic that isn't going to go away anytime soon and definitely something you'll be hearing more about in 2019. In 2017 and 2018, the Me Too movement was everywhere. Many celebrities have been accused of sexual harassment. But the moment that sticks out in my mind the most, at least in 2018, was the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. The number of hashtag I'm with her in support of Dr. Christine Ford was, well, it was everywhere. 
Of course, Brett Kavanaugh got elected to the Supreme Court, and there was outrage. What a shocker. Even though I wasn't surprised, because there was some evidence issues over an incident that did happen well over 30 years ago, which doesn't mean he didn't do what he was accused of, personally. I, th I think he probably did it. And I think the FBI were also only allowed to interview certain people during the investigation, which also doesn't provide a complete picture about his history. But after being elected to the Supreme Court, people seem to act like they did when O.J. Simpson was found not guilty for the murder of his ex-wife and her friend. I'm not sure why people seem to get surprised by these things anymore. I mean, it's, a, it's America. You know, wild things do happen. Anyways, the main reason why Trump wanted him in is because Kavanaugh holds strong opinions on being overall against presidential impeachment. And that is also something that will be talked about a lot in 2019, especially since the Democrats now have the House of Congress. But I'm not going to talk about that a whole lot because you're going to be hearing enough about that this year. Now, to get back on track, where I was going with all of this was that when one end of the teeter-totter goes up, the other end goes down. So since the Me Too movement has been able to mobilize thousands upon thousands of women to protest sexual abuse and sexual violence, where many allegations have been made about a number of publicly powerful men sexually assaulting women, as a result of this, some believe that this movement has actually exacerbated the issue by making women more victimized, as well as giving women permission to accuse men more liberally of assaults, resulting in ruining some men's lives. Some people who take this stance have argued that Me Too has demonized men by putting women in advantageous situations at the expense of men. Since some people are feeling this way, a sudden new hashtag or response to the Me Too movement is Men Too. Where do men fit into this picture, and will the issues that men face nowadays be addressed in the push of fourth-wave feminism, I guess you can call it? So in this day and age, since things change very quickly, in the last year we have had the Me Too movement take the world by storm, and in my observation has recently seemed to lose traction and maybe popularity due to the belief that things have gone too far. I only heard about the Men Too thing recently, so if I had to guess, I bet that in 2019 you will be hearing a lot more about Men Too and the issues that men are facing in the midst of the Me Too movement. So who really knew that it would get to this point after thousands of years being on this planet? Do women and men still not understand each other? You'd think we may have learned some things by now, but maybe we actually understand each other less. All right, moving along. We recently saw America pull troops out of Syria. President Trump did this by claiming that ISIS has been defeated, and that was the reason for America's involvement in the first place. Not that ISIS exists in places like the Philippines and Libya, but sure. It also appears to be a bit of a power move that Trump is doing as well. Some on the other hand may see this as a good thing, saying that this is the first time Trump is implementing a true America first policy in response to a widely believed failed foreign policy in the Middle East. Most people and more qualified people think differently. For instance, as a result of this decision, Defense Secretary James Mad Dog Mattis has resigned. Many people who disapprove see this as 
America turning their back on their allies in the region, especially on the Kurds. And if you remember in my Things to Look Out For in 2018 episode last year, I mentioned the Kurds uh, not being happy campers with the Iraqi government and the army as a result of the civil wars in Iraq and Syria. However, they are more so not going to be happy with America's departure from Syria. Despite the Kurds showing tremendous bravery, courage, and overall effective fighting capability, having fought a number of different forces in northern Syria, they do not have a nation or a modernized military. The Kurds have overall been a reliable ally in the Middle East for the United States and the West, and have depended in part on Western military presence. However, as the United States leaves, it will probably lead to other major Western military powers to leave as well, like the UK and France, leaving the Kurds very vulnerable to some hostile neighbors like Turkey and the Syrian armed forces. Turkey has always opposed a Kurdish state and view the Kurds rather unfavorably. Since the Turks are also becoming more distant from the NATO alliance and its connection to Europe in recent years, they have been acting more independently for what they believe are their vested interests. Turkey's interest in Kurds in Syria lies in the fact that if a Kurdish state were to be created in northern Syria, gives the Kurds bargaining power and may lead to a domino effect with Kurds in Turkey taking drastic measures in wanting to expand the Kurdish state into Turkey. However, I feel that would be highly unlikely to happen even with an established Kurdish state in Syria. What would probably happen, though, if Turkey did invade the northern part of Syria is expecting retaliatory attacks from the Kurdistan Workers' Party in Turkey, also known as the PKK, which wouldn't be new to them, but I imagine would happen more frequently than in recent years. Also, Another concern is if the Kurds were to establish a state in northern Syria, it may lead to mass migration of Kurds in the Middle East to that area, which would cause major demographic shifts for a country like Turkey, especially since the Kurds make up roughly 15-20% to of the Turkish population. Of course, for the Syrian armed forces, Assad wants to have complete control of Syria again. He wants to be viewed as a secure, strong leader and make Syria great again, or just have control over all areas like he did before the civil war. Now, Syria is backed by major powers like Iran and Russia, who would most likely give the go-ahead to retake control of the Kurdish region. Interestingly enough, recently the Kurds actually asked Assad for protection against a potential Turkish attack, which may make it even easier for the Syrian armed forces to retake the Kurdish area. Anyways, to sum up this section of what to expect in 2019, expect to hear about the Kurds, since there will most likely be an attack on Kurdish-held areas in Syria. It is totally possible that many Kurds will try to flee Syria, similar to what happened a few years ago when ISIS were attacking the Yazidis. Since hostile neighbors will be trying to take over Kurdish-held areas in Syria, expect to hear a lot about human rights activism in support of the Kurds since there will be attacks on a vulnerable ethnic population who, as I mentioned before, do not have a state or a modernized military. So more chaos, I believe, is expected for poor Syria. Hopefully that won't be the case in 2019, but I personally am not so hopeful. 
Anyways, one happy thought to the next. In 2019, many economists are predicting a recession. However, some are not. But hear me out here. There was a depression in 1929 and a recession in 2009. So maybe to complete the trifecta, there will be drastic economic decline in 2019. These days, the markets are volatile. What else is new? But more volatile than usual, especially since the Dow Jones a few days ago went up 1,100 points, which is making people wonder if economic decline is on the horizon. As the saying goes, the higher you climb, the harder you fall, or something like that. Globally, interest rates are rising. There are many threats in the trading world in 2018, with Trump threatening a trade war with China, or as he likes to call it, China. Along with China, the U.S. was picking little fights with Canada, Mexico, and the EU. While the U.S. is trying to implement protectionism, China is trying to move its economy away from state-run investments which would probably prevent the world's two largest economies from having a strong economic year. But what about the EU? Well, with the yellow vest protests in France, Britain's Brexit, and growing populism in countries like Poland and Hungary having issues with the EU, I think there is enough public outrage, frustration, and political tension to cause some economic issues in Europe. So... Not many are expecting a strong year for Europe either. All right, in the field of healthcare, I recently read that the opioid crisis is believed to be the reason why the life expectancy in both the US and Canada has been dropping. One way to combat this that is being talked about is alternative pain management therapies. Who knows if this will work, but opioid addiction usually starts because, well, doctors prescribe opiates. So apparently, the implementation of genetic testing will help determine the drug sensitivity of certain patients to opioid medication. So hopefully, there is a reduction in opioid-related deaths in 2019 as a result of alternative pain management therapies. Now, one thing that is for sure expected in 2019, and on a more positive note, is that there will be an addition to the British royal family. Yes, everyone, I'm sure you all know by now, but Meghan Markle is pregnant. And that's really all there is to that. So yeah, 2019, new royal baby. So 2018 did have a pretty epic World Cup. Russia knew how to throw a sporting event. England and France were scarily close to playing each other in the finals, and if that happened, Europe may have ended up on fire. Anyways, France deservedly ended up winning and beating Croatia in the final, and overall, it was a pretty epic sports event. In 2019, this year, it's the women's turn. It is, in fact, the Women's World Cup in 2019, and coincidentally enough, we'll be playing in France, the country that won the World Cup this past year. Along with the Soccer World Cup, the Rugby World Cup is going down in September of 2019 in Japan. All right. Too much positivity there. Got a little carried away. I've got to bring it back to some misery. 
So, a good place to start with that is climate change. Apparently, in 2019, the UN's World Meteorological Organization is claiming that there is a 75 to 80 percent chance that El Nino is happening in February of this year, thanks to increasing ocean temperatures. It is estimated that if this happens, 2019 will be the hottest year recorded in history since the last El Nino that happened in 2016, which currently stands as the world's hottest year. So do your part to reduce your carbon footprint since governments around the world are having a tough time agreeing on with suitable climate change policy. Those are my vague words of encouragement for the listeners, but what else are you going to do? All right, and to wrap this episode up, we are going to talk about elections. Sure, the largest democracy in the world is having their election in 2019, but I don't know much about politics in India, so I won't be talking about that. But my native country of Canada is having their federal election in 2019. Currently, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is our prime minister. However, that may change, or may not, who really knows. In 2015, Trudeau gave Canadian politics a bit of a makeover being the new progressive young hotshot in power with catchy sound bites and, and it was exciting times. Similar to his father, who was once prime minister, it was a period called, or that you could call, Trudeau Mania 2.0. However, as the honeymoon came to an end, Trudeau has been criticized, just like any other politician, for a number of decisions made over the last three-ish years especially when it comes to overspending, balancing the budget, and political correctness. Justin Trudeau also currently has the lowest approval rating since 2015. This election is going to be different for Justin Trudeau in regards to the political landscape than it was in 2015. Justin Trudeau is no longer the youngest new face running. He's 47 now. He's, he's getting up there. And not a gray hair. It's unbelievable. You think he dies it? Anyways, there is Andrew Scheer, leader of the Conservative Party, who is 39 years of age, and Jagmeet Singh, leader of the Social Democrats, the New Democratic Party, who is 39 as well. Soon to be 40, actually. We also have a new party being introduced into the race, and that would be the People's Party of Canada. This party was formed in the fall of 2018 by Maxime Bernier, who was originally in the Conservative Party. However, he disapproved of how the Conservative Party was being run, mostly claiming that he disapproved of them on various issues like political correctness, immigration, and equalization reform. However, many think he started the party out of spite because he lost to Andrew Scheer by a sliver for the Conservative Party of Canada leadership. Now, who knows what will happen in this upcoming election, but I imagine the Liberals will hold on to power with the minority government. I say this for a few reasons. First one being is that now there are two Conservative parties in Canadian politics. Yes, of course, this will hurt the Conservatives a bit, but I think it can also hurt the Liberals. The People's Party of Canada has a frank francophone leader, which I think most of his success will come in Quebec, taking away votes from the Liberals. Bold statement, but I don't think Quebec is all that happy with Justin Trudeau. Anyways, where I think the People's Party of Canada could hurt the Conservatives is in Alberta, 
based on getting rid of the carbon tax and their stances on equalization payments, which actually could also hurt them in Quebec now that I think about it with regards to the equalization payment statement. Overall, though, since the Conservative Party is a far more established party, they will obviously and definitely get the majority of the right-wing vote, if you want to look at it that way. Another reason I say it will be a liberal minority is that, judging by the Ontario provincial election, Canada's most populous province in the country voted for Doug Ford's Conservatives, which sometimes doesn't mean much, as a lot can change in a year, but... I think is a fairly good indicator in more votes for the direction of Scheer or Bernier in the federal election. In regards to the NDP, leader Jagmeet Singh, his approval rating has also decreased to 18%, 5% down from where it was in early 2018. He also has yet to have a seat in Parliament, and he has also decided to move away from his or from running in his original riding in Ontario I don't know the exact riding but I think it's Brampton to Burnaby BC which may show a lack of confidence that move to me also seems like they are scrambling a bit that they may seem a little disorganized and overall I get the sense that the party has less confidence in Jagmeet Singh than uh, when Jack Layton or Thomas Mulcair were the leaders so overall, I can't see them doing as well as they have in the past. I mentioned briefly saying that the People's Party of Canada may get some votes in Quebec, but overall I get the sense Quebec is up in the air with who they will vote for. Uh, I think they will actually lean back to voting for the Separatist Party, that is the Bloc Québécois. Reasons being, I think Quebecers are overall unimpressed with Justin Trudeau, like I mentioned before. They can't really relate to Andrew Scheer. He was a bit of a no-name that came out of nowhere. Uh, his, his French is rough as well, still better than mine and probably the majority of the Canadian population. I think the NDP seems a disorganized, like I said before, which wouldn't go over well with, with any province. And even though more Quebecers were against this, but there was there was quite a bit of support for the Quebec Charter of Values in 2013, trying to disallow people from wearing overt religious symbols in the public sector. And since Jagmeet Singh is Sikh, he does wear a turban, which may rub some Quebecers the wrong way, uh, affecting his votes. Rather unfortunate based on those circumstances, but I could see that being a problem for him in Quebec, even if it's not explicitly stated. However, he does speak French pretty well, far better than Andrew Scheer, so that's a definite plus for him in Quebec. Uh, and for the Greens, well, they, they won't get votes in Quebec. Uh, and the last reason I think the Liberals will win is because more Millennials are expected to vote than previous years. Since Younger people usually lean more liberal. I think they are going to vote liberal and counteract what I assume most older people will vote for. I also think Canada is a bit of an exception in the sense that the wave of right-wing populism that is taking place in a number of Western countries isn't, it's not gaining the traction in Canada that it has in other places. Then again, that was also said about Brexit and Trump, and look what happened. But 
it, it still doesn't seem to get the same amount of attention here like it did in the United States during the 2016 presidential election. Anyways, it will have to be discussed closer to when the election actually happens. A lot can happen in the next year, so keep your eyes and ears open. So these are the things to look out for in 2019. Hopefully your ears haven't fallen off from listening to me talk. It's, it's been a lot of information. And I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Please rate, follow, share, subscribe to the Markson Podcast. All that stuff that helps me out. Happy New Year. And in the meantime, I am out of here. <laughs>